Welcome to the Jerry Acuff Show. I'm Jerry, your host, and I started this podcast to bring to you people who are doing incredible things. I've always been fascinated by those who have found their greatness, and I'm excited to share the secrets of their success. Let's meet today's guest. I am super excited today to have as our guest Mark Godfrey, who is the owner of Parker Madison in Tempe, Arizona. And uh, fundamentally, Parker Madison is a brand re-engineering agency. And I don't if, 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 if you have a brand and have not looked at his website, then consider yourself underprivileged because, I don't know, I just think this, that so often we, you know, we get in a groove and we don't really begin to think about, you know, how or if we should re- reinvent ourselves. Or, you know, one of the things I say about, you know, life is that, you know, most people have to reinvent themselves twice, at, twice after 50. With brands, it's probably, uh, you know, reinventing yourself or re-engineering yourself more than more than any uh, other aspect of that. Uh, Mark is a graduate of Northern Illinois University, which happens to be one of my favorite places in the world because I've been going there for, I guess, 13 years, twice a year to teach a course on my uh, selling philosophy and my books, The Relationship Edge in Business, and Stop Acting Like a Seller and Start Thinking Like a Buyer. And so I instantly... um, uh, connected with with him at that level, and then he told me how he met his wife, uh, which had to do with a uh, garbage can lid. And I'll let him tell you that story if he wants to, but it's it's hysterical. So, welcome, uh, Mark. It's exciting to have you, especially somebody with the breadth of your experience. And I would also say, with your unusual, uh, unique, and I think powerful take on um, uh, helping companies find and keep customers so tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this re-engineering brands business well thanks jerry um well we uh we started off in 1993 25 years ago as a design firm and so i went to niu and i studied visual communications and niu is really great because they wrap in art history And so as we're learning about art history and Leonardo and all the different uh, hidden elements behind things like the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper, you realize, boy, he really had a thought process. He didn't just get up there and and paint these things. There's a real method to the madness. And they tied that together in the design program. And they said, every font you pick, every color you pick, every image you use, it has to have a reason. The lighting, the camera angles have a reason for everything. And really the only reason to, uh, to tie all these things together, you have to do a lot of research. And so when we started this design firm, we said we want to have a reason for everything we do. And it means we have to ask a lot of questions at the beginning. And when we ask a lot of questions, we get a lot of information. We kind of put that information on the table. We find patterns and connections that other people just don't see because they're, they're kind of swimming in their own fishbowl. So we find these patterns, we put them together, we come and we make a recommendation and they say, wow, this, this really resonates for us. And we kind of went from being a design firm to being a branding firm. And today we find ourselves going into conference rooms with the executive team, asking them some really profound questions and getting them to dig deep for the answers. And uh, when we come back and show them how we've connected the dots, uh, they're kind of blown away by it, and uh, and then we put it into visual means, and we build a brand that resonates with their prospects. Would you would you say that this uh, research that you do is a huge part of what enables you to ask questions that really are sort of penetrating and thought provoking? 
uh, <clears throat> versus other you know agency firms and you know I ran a pharmaceutical company and dealt with agencies etc and I don't I don't remember many people asking me a very penetrating question period you're right well a lot of times people kind of get into this mode where they think they know what the outcome is going to be and we always go in and we have a saying we say assume wisdom assume that there's a wisdom beyond what you know currently and if we assume that then we're going to dig until we get to that wisdom and we start off with what we call an organizational survey and we get as many people in the organization to take it as possible and it comes back and it really tells us the culture of that company and culture is something that's it's kind of unwritten rules that people live by but they don't really realize they're doing it you know there's a saying that says um, uh, we don't know who discovered water but we're pretty sure it wasn't a fish right <laughs> and the reason is the fish is swimming in water. He doesn't know whether he's in a fishbowl or whether he's in a pond. He's swimming in this and he doesn't realize it. But us from the outside, we can see that water. And the same thing's true with culture. There's a culture that exists. And this organizational survey gives us a tool to measure that culture. Is that... And then we... Mm -hmm. No, keep going. And then we ascribe to that culture uh, Jungian archetypes. So Carl Jung, he developed this theory of archetypes uh, back in the early 1900s and we use that same theory to apply archetypes to companies. So for example, my company, the archetypes are magician, creator, and explorer. But we go into other companies and we find out they're the hero or maybe they're the caregiver and all of a sudden that starts to establish a character for the company and we know that anything visually we do needs to be true to that character. It's, it's what staying on brand is all about. And that's really a stepping stone for us to say, okay, you're a hero company. Here are some attributes. Tell us how you exemplify that. And that gets them talking about what they do in ways that they're not used to talking about it. Because if they just spit out the usual jargon and sales pitch, we're going to give them the usual kind of design. And we don't want to do that. So, we, so it gives us a, a different perspective from which to ask questions. And I think that's really what makes us different. How, how do people respond when you when you either say or intimate that defining your organizational culture is the first step to defining your brand. I mean, I, I, I just found that, I mean, it really made me be introspective about my own company. I mean, I have 25 employees, um, you know, have been in business for 17 years. We've been, you know, recognized internationally as one of the top, you know, biopharmaceutical companies in, in the world and yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, and I've always thought about, you know, what our, I wanted our culture to be and which is basically family oriented <clears throat> and, you know, and doing the right thing. It's not very complicated. And sometimes the right thing is telling your customer that they're full of bull. And sometimes it's telling your customer that you're making a big mistake. And sometimes, you know, doing the right thing is telling the customer you can't do business with them because you don't believe in their brand. Uh, but but how do people respond when you when you talk about the, this organizational culture is the first step to defining your brand? Well, we realize that they are swimming in a fishbowl, and so we know we might hit some reluctance when we get there because they're not used to thinking this way. And so a lot of times we have to use anecdotes and tell them stories about other companies and, and how they had a different uh, perspective, they had a different viewpoint of something after they went through this process. And one of those stories is there's a big uh, research company in Washington, D.C., it's probably about a 4,000 person organization and their character is ruler. 
That's their archetype, ruler. Everything's got to be done by rules. There's paperwork, there are memos, there are meetings. That's the kind of 4,000 person organization in Washington, D.C. that this is. And they wanted to buy a smaller research firm, 40 people, in Boulder, Colorado. And Boulder, Colorado is a completely different culture, just the city itself. Right. But this company they bought was more of an explorer archetype. They wanted to do things that had never been done before. They wanted to test boundaries and do things in different ways. And that's what made them successful. So when the ruler company went to buy the explorer company, uh, it changed their culture immediately and not in good ways because they didn't recognize those cultures off the bat. They didn't see the potential for, for conflict and for misalignment. And once they saw what they were, they figured out how they can really fit their two organizations together in ways that allow both companies to keep their culture, but still, you know, benefit the larger organization. Gotcha. So it's, it's almost like what, uh, you know, the Heath brothers talk about in, in uh, Made to Stick. You know, it's, it's schemas. We have these certain ways that we think, and what you did was break that schema. Exactly. You know, and that's the key to everything, because people will just do things the way they've always been done. And that's exactly what we don't want to do. That's why Explorer is part of one of our archetypes. Gotcha. One of the things that I, I tell our clients all the time, I say, you know, if, you, if you're trying to sell somebody something, and, you know, my business is teaching people how to uh, sell, uh, you got to get people to listen. If they don't listen, nothing else happens. I mean, it's nothing happens. The second thing you got to do is you got to get them to think differently. And the third thing you got to do is you got to get them to act differently. And I said, one of the ways you got to get people to think differently is to get them to understand that other people are thinking different than they are. And then their curiosity kills them. So if you go and say, you know, this product came out a year ago and people have completely begun to think about this product differently and then stop, 100% of the people will say, well, how are they thinking about it now? And it's the law of the like, you know, that Cialdini writes about in his book. I mean, everybody wants to know, you know, what everybody else is doing. So uh, it's, a, it's a fast and easy way to get people to stay, say to themselves, well, I better find out what other people are uh, doing. Talk a little well, bit. Go ahead. Can I build on that for, sure. uh, for just a second? Uh, we had a company. It's a really big infrastructure construction company. So they repair gas lines underneath the ground. And we had been dealing with this company for a long time, just on a design level, not on a brand level. They decided they wanted to grow. They were about a $300 million company. They wanted to grow exponentially. And so we said, well, we need to really consider the brand. We built a new architecture. And when we got in and were asking questions, we would get the responses we expected. Safety and quality were their two top, what they call differentiators. Right. And we said, those really aren't differentiators. Everybody's saying that. You have to say safety and you have to say quality. Their customers are utility companies. They have to be about safety. They have to be about quality. Otherwise, you get giant gas explosions. And, you know, we tested that a little bit. Sustainability was one of the things we asked them about. And they said, well, we're not tree huggers around here. We Sometimes we make copies on both sides of the paper. But they really kind of poo-pooed it. And when we took a look at that and we said, look at your customers, these utility companies. They're regulated companies. Sustainability is huge for them. They're doing giant sustainability reports that they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on. And your, your competition isn't talking about sustainability at all because they're talking about safety and quality just like you are. Sustainability turns out to be a key differentiator for you. But if you don't want to be seen as tree huggers, what we did was we built a sustainability framework that included 
not only uh, the environment, but it included safety because that's sustainability. You've right. got to design something safe if it's going to last long term. It's got to be quality. You have to think about your employees and not only how to keep them there, but how to let their careers thrive. You have to think about your customers and you have to think about the economy. We're not gonna go into an organization and bring our own people. We're gonna employ people in the local economy. We're gonna buy from the mom and pop shop, the gravel and the dirt and the things that we need, as opposed to going to the big national corporations. You know, we're gonna support the local economy. So this sustainability framework that included all of that became the key differentiator for the company. And we built everything on that. We built the name of the company, Century, because they had enough work to last them for 100 years, but they had to figure out how to do it. Uh, their tagline is now Think Ahead, which is all about sustainability. And the logos and all the marketing materials, they all gravitate toward this sustainability framework. And it's really been profound for them. They went from a $300 million company to they're well over a billion dollar company now. So you started this business in 1993, is that correct? That's correct, 25 years. So you've been an entrepreneur for 25 years. Yes. So what are the two or three most important lessons you would teach to somebody? Uh, I See, I became an entrepreneur at 51 when I got fired from a job and I couldn't find a job. So I started my own company. And I, it's not like I had a choice. And I, you know, I could do these entrepreneur conferences and I tell people, I said, you know, a lot of people think that you, you know, you, you, you take risk and you got a great idea. I said, some of us are just old and got fired. And, uh, right. but, but so, so what made you decide to go out on your own in, in, in 93? Well, and then what have you learned from it? Yeah. I was 26 at the time and, uh, and didn't know any better. I didn't have, uh, I mean, I look back on it now and I kind of think, wow, that's crazy. Uh, how was I afraid that I would just fail? And the truth is, you know, I was young, I had a lot of energy and, and I didn't let fear be part of that. And, uh, and I think that's one of the key things about being an entrepreneur. You just have to put fear in a drawer and put it aside because you don't have a choice. You can't be focused on that. You just have to get out there and do what you need to do. The other thing is, uh, you know, I was moving to a new city. I didn't know anybody here. And so building a network was huge. And when I started building this network, I would go to functions, business functions after hours. I would talk to people, get to know who they knew. This is, this is in the days before LinkedIn. So we didn't really have an ability to build a network that way. It was all going to places and, you know, schmoozing with people. And, uh, and so we built that network. And part of building that network, we realized, you know, everything's connected. We think, oh, I know you and you know him and they know each other. What a coincidence. But it's not really a coincidence. It's really more of a coincidence when you find connections that aren't made because everything's really connected. And when you really back out and see that, it has profound um, implications on life. Uh, it's kind of like you're not playing the game of life anymore, rolling the dice and moving your, your pieces around the board. You're kind of seeing it from a larger perspective and it gives you the ability to navigate that a little bit better. And, uh, and it takes a lot of hard work. I would say that's the third thing. You just got to keep in there. I mean, we had a lot of extra hours and we didn't have kids at the time, my wife and I. And so we spent a lot of time going to these networking events and building our network. And, and it was huge for us. So why, why are you, what's, what's your take on, you know, a sort of a Cliff Notes version of why branding is so important? Well, to me, branding is everything. It's, uh, it's a bridge between the company and its customers. 
And a lot of times an entrepreneurial company, they don't have a lot of resources and they just, but they have a great idea. And so they don't spend a lot of money on their brand. And just like if you had a, a little company, you had to cross a creek, you might use a board to cross that creek. And they survive by sheer will and hard work and networking and having no fear. They survive and they thrive. But to get to that next level, they really have to develop a brand that companies on the next level can admire and take credibly. Because no company wants to work with another company that's on a lower level. So you have to show that you're on that next level already. And that's what brand really does for them. So One of the things we talk about with customers, and this is another way to kind of help change their perspective a little bit, is we always deal with companies. We go in and we ask about the organization and we measure it on this continuum of real to racket. So on one end of the continuum, you have a real company. They make a real product, they sell it to you for $3, and you take that and you use it. You get $3 worth of value or hopefully more out of it. Other companies develop rackets. So insurance is you know, nothing against insurance, but you pay money to a company and you pray that you never need to use that insurance because it means something bad has happened. And so they're making money after money after money. And they do provide a service, but they're likely to take in a lot of money. And so we kind of look at this real to racket continuum and we go to companies and we say, look, you have a real product and you're bringing real value to the table, but your brand is really just a story. It's not real. It doesn't exist in reality. It's just a perception in somebody's mind. And the way you build that perception is what we call brand engineering. And it's creating all these tangible touch points like names and logos and websites and marketing and advertising. And those tangible elements that you can see and hear and speak and read, those are the things that really help us create the story in our minds that becomes the brand. So brand isn't real. It's only a story. And we're helping to build that story. <clears throat> well, what I hear you say is that you not only, you not only help company build brands, uh, you, you, I mean, I mean, you, you not only help them create the brand, you help them uh, s sort of expand the brand's awareness. Is that, is that? A, that's correct. I mean, because to me, that's, you know, you got the greatest brand in the world. If nobody knows about it, then nobody's going to buy from you. That's right. That's right. And so they do need the brand. They do need that character. They do need that story. That story has to be appealing to their target market. And so they have to tap into the emotion that their target market is feeling. There's always a fear or an insecurity or something, and they have to realize what their target market's hidden agenda is, and they have to appeal to that. So the main thing is character. Second thing is appeal to emotion, know your target audience. And the third thing is logic. Tell them why they should be doing this. It's the justification for the emotional decision they've already made. But once we build that brand, we have something that we call an IMAP an integrated marketing action plan. And that's taking all of these tangible touch points and figuring out how to build what we call a love machine out of it. And so we built a brand, now we need to get people to love it and we need a little machine to make that work. And so how is that gonna happen? How are we gonna get the logo out there? How are we gonna keep people reading the blog? How are we gonna get people listening to the podcast? And a lot of that are some of the things we talked about already, developing that network and tapping into people that you know that know a lot of people and really building it that way. So we look at all the different tangible elements, we figure out how to put them all together in a way that supports and reinforces everything within that little love machine. So um, how are you using social media 
to help with brands? Well, we use social media in a little bit different way, and we primarily do it with our with our customers, with our clients, and we help them stay visible out there in the marketplace. And gotcha. the key thing is not to be out there promoting their products or their services, but really just adding value, putting knowledge out there that anyone can listen to and learn from. And all of a sudden you become the good guys. You become the guys that's kind of teaching them what the secret sauce is. There is no mystery behind this madness. There's a real system to it and we're gonna kind of help you understand what that is. And when you start making connections for people in their minds and you're teaching them something, all of a sudden there's an affinity to your company and they see you as the good guys and they wanna work with you. Gotcha. Well, uh, listen, I could talk to you for two hours. I mean, you you know, Donna told me that you were one of the most powerful speakers she'd ever heard, and it's not hard for me to <clears throat> to know why. I, I'm going to do a little bit of a summary here on the things that, that I learned that I think are, are powerful, and then I want you to tell people how to get in touch with you because, uh, I mean, I don't know how much business you can do, but good gosh almighty, there's a boatload of people who need you. Uh, the first thing I'm going to say is your blog poster killers. I mean, I, I read your blogs, and and I, I'm just I'm just blown away at the at the at the way you make people think. And I I'm a big believer that you know people who think um, who force me to think about things that make me uncomfortable. I love, uh, and your blog posts make me think about things that make me uncomfortable. It makes me think about my own company in ways that I don't think about it now, which I think is really, really important. You, you talked about branding as everything, and I think, that's, I think that's so important. And because of that, I think people had to constantly evaluate their brand, especially um, if their brand is hugely important to the success of their business. And, and my advice is to get somebody like you to actually do that. I mean, too often... And I've and I have clients like this now who you know they if you don't have the badge you know from their company they don't think you know anything, and uh, the reality is usually the best perspective is that you get it from people who don't know that much about your business but do what you do is they research your business they have a philosophy, they have a system because all you've done to, today to me is to describe this. Um, and I don't want to say elaborate, but you've described this powerful system for how you actually re-engineer brands. So it's not, you know, uh, two people with wild hair in the room trying to make stuff up. I mean, it's really a process and a system that helps people do that. Your comment about you have to put fear in a drawer is genius. Uh, you know, a lot of people say fear is false evidence appearing real. Um a good friend of mine, Tim S. Marshall, just wrote a book called The Power of Breaking Fear. And it is a fabulous book. But fear holds so many uh, of us back, it's unbelievable. Having written three books on relationship building, the relationship edge in business, and having a virtual training program uh, on uh, how do you build relationships, especially with people you don't naturally connect with. You know, the truth is we naturally connect with about 25 to 30 percent of the people that we meet. There's about 65 to 70 percent of the people that we meet that we don't naturally connect with. And my book is how do you connect with the people that you don't naturally connect with? How do you leverage the relationships that you have? And many, many people won't leverage the relationships they have because of fear of ruining the relationships. And we show people how to do that. And then we also teach people, how do you maintain those relationships? 
Uh, you know, I, uh, when I talk to realtors, I say, look, I've, I've had 18 real estate transactions. I've worked with 15 realtors. There's only two I'd ever use again. Now, what's the thing that the two have in common? They're the only two stayed in touch with me. I mean, that's, so if, you, if you're not going to stay in touch with me, obviously I'm not important to you. So building a network, I think, is, is critical. I love your idea of a passion statement. Um, and I hope that you'll at some point in time write more about you know, what individuals should do about writing passion statements. We talk a lot about purpose. Have you seen Michael Jr.'s video on purpose? I have. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know of anything that describes the power of purpose more than that. And, and, and we, we make people watch it twice. We say, first, you know, just watch it. And everybody focuses on the differences in the way the guy sings Amazing Grace, which is beyond belief. I mean, it's, it's, it, it'll almost bring a tear to your eye. But I say, watch it the second time and then watch how people respond to him. Because the difference in response is the first time he sings, nobody moves. The second time, the place is going nuts. And so when, you're, when, you, when you really are passionate about something, when you really are walking in purpose, it not only impacts you, it impacts the people uh, around you. Uh, and then the, 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 the last thing I wrote down here is um, brand is a story. And I really, really like that because I do think that your brand is a story. I love your uh, philosophy of character, emotion, and logic. Um, I'm going to have to figure out how to wait a way to to put that into uh, my business. So, uh, tell people how they can actually contact uh, Parker Madison or Mark Godfrey. How they can uh, get your blog and uh, in and before I, I close, I just have to thank you because you've been incredible. Well, thank you, Jerry. I really appreciate it. It's wonderful talking to you. You're a great guy. I um, and people can get a hold of me easy enough. ParkerMadison.com is our website, and uh, and I am Mark at ParkerMadison.com. We just keep it simple. <laughs> you know, mine is JAcuff at DeltaPoint.com. I mean, I'm like you. I got to keep it simple. I, I you know I highly encourage you if you have a if you have a brand that's really important to you to to contact Parker Madison. Talk to Mark. Um, these ideas are not usual. They are very unusual, but I guarantee you they will lead you to results that are probably way beyond your own uh, expectations because the philosophies are so sound. Everybody wants to differentiate themselves, but then they want to be just like everybody else. And I say to people all the time, if you want to be like everybody else, then that's what you're going to be. But if you want to differentiate yourself, you have to be different. You know, one of the things I do is I mentor college basketball coaches. And I ask them, one of the things I teach them is about recruiting. I said, you know, when, when these coaches, these big-time coaches walk into a recruit's home uh, and, the, and, the, and the kid says, why should I come to your school, what do you think they say? And every one of them's got a spiel. You know, we're number one in the country and you want to play for us and we're rebuilding our program. they got a spiel. I said, I don't want you to have a spiel. When that kid says, why should I come to your school, I want you to say this, I'm not sure you should. Hmm. And then I want you to say, I didn't say we didn't want you. That's a separate question. But you're asking me a question about where should you go to college. And here's what I know. I know that as good as you are, 
85 percent of the people in the NBA five years after they're in the NBA are are broke. So if you this education ought to mean a boatload to you. And I'm not sure whether we're right for you or not, and I won't be sure if we're right until I ask you some questions. Now, that's when I begin to do my research. You see, I, I, I ask a boatload of questions in situations like that to get to sort of – it's not as uh, – now, we, we have a very detailed process when we're working with clients. But my point is, if you want to differentiate yourself, don't be like everybody else. And I think that's fundamentally a big part of your focus, and you help people see – what are the ways that you can differentiate yourself that really, really matter? So thanks for being I think a- you nailed it, Jerry. Uh, and if I could expand on that real quick. Yes, our, please. Our tagline is dress for recess. And so, you know, we have our logo for Parker Madison. Our logo is tennis shoes. Yeah. And our tagline is dress for recess. <clears throat> and it's built on a phrase by a seven-year-old uh, who said, you don't really know someone until you've had recess with them. Right. And the idea is that all these kids are sitting in class, they all do the same thing, they're trying to be proper, they raise their hand and ask to go to the bathroom, and they, they're all kind of the same. But you get out there on the playground, and you know who cheats at sports, you know who's great at sports, you know who's running around trying to kiss the girls, and who's you know doing bad things. You really don't know someone until you've had recess with them. And our philosophy is, don't be like everybody else. Dress for recess, be yourself, and be different. Yeah, there is nothing like being authentic, you know, uh, because so many people aren't because they think they got to be like everybody else. Well, you've been a great guest, Mark Godfrey. I appreciate you being on. Uh, I highly recommend that you check out Parker Madison. I mean, this is not the usual agency firm. This is a firm that can take your business in places that you probably never dreamed of. Uh, get in touch with them. Uh, and thank you so much for helping our program be successful. And as always, continue to do what you do. Go NIU Huskies and be incredible. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's show where we met yet another incredible person. As a thank you for listening, I want to extend a special offer. I want to give you 50% off of Jerry Acuff VT because I want to help you be incredible. Head over to jerryacuffvt.com and use the code JAVT50OFF at the checkout and accelerate your path to finding your greatness. You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.